Good morning. We are in our second week of our Spiritual Rhythms for Real Life series. And in this series, we're inviting you to consider spiritual practices that are both sustaining and sustainable. Now, these practices are not meant to be guilt-driven, like I should be praying more, I should be resting more, but rather it's an invitation to creatively practice these rhythms in a way that works for you. And these rhythms can and they should change as we go along based on the needs of our souls and our spirits, our families, our workplaces, our community, and our homes. So our prayer is that these rhythms can guide us both individually and communally to be open and available to God and to others as we go about our daily lives. Now, last week, Pastor Keon opened this series about the spiritual rhythm of slowing. Now, this was such a beautiful way to enter into the series and will help us posture ourselves as we go throughout. Now, slowing, he mentioned, helps us recognize our tendency to overfill our schedules, to distract ourselves with screens in any moment of downtime, and that we oftentimes live at a pace of constant hurry or constant working or doing. Now, slowing isn't an invitation to sit back and chill and just be focused on me, myself, and I. It's an invitation to develop margin and intention in your life to be open and available to God and others in the present moment. Now, this is simply just a highlight of the timely and powerful wisdom that Pastor Keon shared with us last week on the spiritual practice of slowing. Now, if you missed it, I recommend that you go back and watch last week's service either on YouTube or you can listen to it on our podcast, which is Wellington Heights Church on any streaming platform that you prefer. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about the spiritual rhythm of prayer. Now, prayer is a spiritual discipline that causes our whole selves to be attentive and aware to the presence of God. Simply put, prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. Prayer deepens our intimacy with God. Prayer guides us to self-reflection, to confession, and to repentance. And prayer also moves us up and out into our community and world. So you might want to say that prayer helps us look up, look in and out. Now Richard Rohr says this about prayer. Prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts. It is rather a stance, a posture. It's a way of living in the presence of God. So how we often approach prayer in the Western culture and American society is one of duty, of obligation, something we should do, and a task that we have in our day to check off. We often read about it or talk about it or preach about it more than we actually practice it. In hearing news in our culture that is difficult or heartbreaking, we often mindlessly offer thoughts and prayers without actually practicing prayer. We also assume prayer to just be a lot of talking at God or sharing our requests 
in forms of words about ourselves and others to God. Now, I have appreciated Ruth Haley Barton's breakdown of where we may be at when it comes to our approach and how we see and experience prayer. She says this, Early in our spiritual life, we experience prayer in the way the words we say to God. And often there is a deep satisfaction in this. In our next stage of our spiritual life, we look to know what others have said about God. This stage is often filled with a lot of theological study and looking to figure God out. This is often a time of great joy and when many things may seem clear about God. Eventually there comes a time in our spiritual life when prayer just seems not to work as it used to. Our intellectual considerations of the mystery of God and our wordy defenses of who God is and our learned prayer practices of talking at or to God just doesn't feel very satisfying. She goes on to say this is a time in our spiritual life that can be traumatic for our souls. It may send us spiraling into doubt about our spirituality and wondering if we have lost our way. Maybe we are angry at God for not experiencing the same as we did in previous seasons of life. Now, if you find yourself in this space of not experiencing God in the way that you used to and maybe wondering, gosh, have I totally lost my way? This is an invitation to a transition in the life of prayer and your journey with God. It signals an invitation to deeper levels of intimacy beyond communication, which primarily involves words and concepts, and into a time of communion, which is quieting ourselves, which is listening and simply being in the presence of God. Now, we are all at different phases and places in our spiritual life. This is good, and this is beautiful. We need one another and the unique places in the journey that we are each on. We can't rush God's Spirit at work within us or within others. Now, you might be wondering, well, what is keeping us from going beyond communication with God and into communion with God. What keeps us talking about or reading about prayer, but not actually praying? It's often rooted in our patterns of intimacy and avoiding intimacy or closeness. Now, when we give our heart to another in friendship or in marriage, we know that we give them the ability to do great harm or great good. We often choose wisely who we are close with, who we are intimate with. But we know that with human beings, there is no guarantees as we can't control one another's actions. Intimacy requires something of us. It requires risk and vulnerability and giving up control. All of those things are incredibly difficult. Our patterns of intimacy or lack of intimacy with human beings all are the same patterns that we bring into our journey with God. If we have a high need to be in control of our human relationships, and most of us do if we're honest, right? Intimacy with God can be challenging for us. If we're afraid of intimacy and closeness, 
or if we hold ourselves back in human relationships, that's going to be a pattern as we interact with God as well. Now, prayer is less about words or using the right technique or having a really beautiful, eloquent prayer or saying the right thing, but it's much more than that. It's simply being with and in communion with God, which is often in the beyond words intimacy. Now, this kind of intimacy requires no words. Our passage from Roman eight, Romans 8 today shares with us that prayer is truest when it has passed beyond words and into the realm where the Holy Spirit groans for us with the utterances that are just too deep for words. Now, this is a kind of intimacy that you may have with a loved one. This is an intimacy where you can settle into a comfortable silence and just simply be content to be in one another's presence. Now, this simply being with kind of intimacy is what replenishes us and satisfies our soul. Now, next week, we're going to offer practices to consider that go beyond simply talking at God or to God, but to commune with God, to be still and in God's presence. Now, why are we building this into our sermon series? We know that our lives are often full and we want to give spaces and intentional time to practice slowing and spending time in communion with God. So next Sunday, we invite you to make space that you'd normally have to watch virtual service and to tune into our podcast for a time of guided prayer. We're going to be doing a practice called breath prayer. You may be familiar with it. Some spiritual directors call it the gut prayer because it comes from a deep gut level rather than an intellectual level where we're talking at and to God. Now, breath prayer is so simple. It's usually only six to eight syllables long, and we can pray it rhythmically alongside the inhale and the exhale of our breath. Now, breath prayer does not replace all the other ways of praying and the importance of communicating to God with words, but it just is a piece in our prayer life, a piece of the pie, you might want to think of it as. Breath prayer helps us to pray when we don't have the words to pray or if we're totally overwhelmed or if we can't pray formally in a situation or maybe our mind is wandering when we're praying. We can return to our breath to center and focus ourselves on God Almighty. Now, there's nothing mystical or magic about breath prayer. It's not the same thing as an Eastern mantra chant, nor is it this heaping up of empty words and phrases that Jesus warns about in Matthew 6, 5. Rather, breath prayer is a, is a prayer that arises from a personal soul response to God's spirit at work within us. It's a way for us to breathe the very breath of God. It's a way that we can practice slowing and being with God. So some examples of breath prayer is as we inhale, we can pray, may I sense you in every moment. And as we exhale, say, may my whole life be a prayer. Or maybe it's, Lord, as I wait upon you, exhale, awake my soul. Or maybe you'll choose the Jesus prayer, which is what some people call it, which is simply we can inhale and say, 
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Exhale, a sinner. Simply being with God in this way will renew us, inspire us, and it will guide us to look outside of ourselves. Henry Nguyen says this of prayer. Prayer is the way to the heart of God and the heart of the world. Praying is letting one's own heart become the place where the tears of God's children merge and become tears of hope. Action often emerges from our real and intimate encounters with God. We may be afraid or feel ill-equipped, but prayer often nudges us to be willing to go beyond primarily being concerned for my own well-being, for my family's well-being, and my own safety and my own survival. Action flows from being in touch with the true source of life through prayer. Now, prayer is the dynamic practice that fueled and sustained the civil rights movement. Only God could give Dr. King and the many men and women the necessary spiritual grit and depth to lead and minister for the long haul. Through the practice of prayer, God empowered Dr. King and other civil rights leaders to keep moving forward by faith and in faith and trust in God. Coretta Scott King said this of her husband, Dr. King, prayer was a daily source of courage and strength that gave him the ability to carry on even in the darkest hours of our struggle. Now she recounts a specific time when he bowed his head over the dinner table and prayed aloud to God this, Lord, I'm taking a stand for what I believe is right. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I cannot face it alone. These words of the prayer of Dr. King are filled with vulnerability and intimacy that led to trust and faith in God. Mrs. King went on to say that later he told her that at that moment and after that moment that he prayed this prayer at the dinner table, he experienced the presence of God like he never had experienced before. He said this, that he could hear a voice saying to him, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Now, Dr. King answered his call to ministry despite many, many obstacles. Dr. King kept on in prayer and action, despite knowing that he was the most hated man in our country at that time, and that his life and his family and his loved ones and those on the journey with him, their lives were at risk. He kept going. Because Dr. King realized his kingdom assignment was beyond him, is beyond striving, but it was one that God had given to him and that he prayerfully and humbly continued to seek God for direction and guidance in this assignment. Dr. King's life of prayer is what made him an effective spiritual leader. 
Ruth Haley Barton writes this about Dr. King and his prayer life. Were it not for his full engagement in the fight for justice and his groundedness in the life of prayer, he might never have had the kind of encounter with God that transformed him in the deepest level of being. Because of Dr. King's faithful obedience, faithful commitment to both prayer and action, our lives, our nation, our world looks a lot different than it would have. However, we must acknowledge that there is still much left, much work left to do right here and right now. Dr. King's life was characterized by a powerful integration of prayer, of contemplation, and a profound commitment to be loving, committed to loving action in the world around us. That model of looking up to God in for self-reflection, confession, and repentance, and a commitment to look outward and to be in loving action to the world around us. Now the lives of our spiritual mothers and our spiritual fathers of the civil rights movement inspire us to continue to carry on in our work through the difficult days in the here and now as we work for justice. And they remind us as we look at our lives, their lives, that we must too be grounded in a commitment to prayer. And tomorrow, as we celebrate the life and the work and the legacy of Dr. King and the many women and men whose lives contributed to the civil rights of all people, we must do the same of encouraging the creativity, the energy, the passion, the gifts, and the skills of those who surround us right now, in the here and now, to work toward the vision of God's peace and love and justice and shalom. So let us today commit to a life of prayer, a life of prayer that includes both communication with God and to God and communion with God. May we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us to loving action right here and now. Now we're going to close service today with a video created by LD and he has created this video last year and you may recognize it from our collection of voices virtual service that we did last year on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day and this video is going to give us some space to listen to quiet ourselves before God, to pray, and to reflect, and to consider how we might be moved out into loving action to the world around us. Now, just a friendly reminder, please check your email for the prayer and reflection prompts from this sermon and a time, a link for the podcast for next. Sunday. Now, these spiritual practices can be done individually, and that's important, but it's best as we discuss and do these things communally. And we invite you to join us again for coffee with the pastors so we can share with one another what we're learning and experiencing and encourage one another to, our, to be open and available to God through these practices and also to be open and available to what he may inspire us 
to do together. Now let's enter into this time of prayer and reflection as LD leads us in this video. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. Though I join hands so often with students and others behind jail bars singing, we shall overcome. Sometimes we've had tears in our eyes when we joined together to sing it, but we still decided to sing it. We shall overcome. Oh, before this victory is won, some will have to get thrown in jail some more, but we shall overcome. Don't worry about us. Before the victory is won, some of us will lose jobs, but this we shall overcome. Bitter earth. Well, what the fruit it bears. From the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. And this will be a great America. We will be the participants in making it so. The glow of a rose. But what good am I? of hope and this will be a great America we will be the participants in making it so Hey, thank you so much for listening. Remember to turn on your notifications to be the first to listen to future episodes. Also, be sure to like and share this podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We are relying upon the benevolent gifts of donors to continue our ministry in an urban setting. So if you are compelled to give, please give a gift at donorbox.org backslash WHCC. Hey, thank you and be blessed.